We are in Romans chapter 1, continuing on in our series, The Gospel of God. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's page 939, 939. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Paul in Romans is heralding to us the gospel of God, which is the glory of a righteousness that comes from God. That's what he'll talk about throughout the book as we walk through the book of Romans. A case for that glory, a case for that righteousness. And it centers in the promises of the Old Testament and comes to reality in what Christ did in coming and being born of flesh, descended of David, and declared God by his resurrection from the dead. Fully man, fully God. And he comes, and last week we talked about he comes to bring about the obedience of faith. That was the reason that Paul wanted to write to the Romans, to bring about the obedience of faith, but but he didn't stop there. We might have a tendency to do that at times if we're not thinking correctly. We would see that's the end of everything. But that was never the end for Paul. The winning of people to Christ and seeing them embrace that righteousness from God was not the end of the line because he knew something about God that was incredibly important to know and which he shows us throughout the book of Romans because it goes on to say, called to the obedience of faith among the nations for the sake of God's name. That's where Paul ended That's what he understood, that all of this, though it influenced us and certainly affected us, if you're part of those who have begun to walk in the obedience of faith and understand that glory, that righteousness that's come, but that's not the end. That's not the end game. That's not the ultimate goal, even, of what Paul was about The ultimate goal, which should be the goal for all of us, is the glory of God's name. To see his glory magnified and cherished. And that's where Paul was. And in fact, I say this to you this morning. We're going to walk through Romans and look at that glory of a righteousness from God. But if you don't understand, if you don't understand that the glory of God is the end of that, you're going to miss something as we walk through it. The giver gets the glory, and one of the things that Romans says is God is the giver. He's the giver of that righteousness. That's why it is so glorious, because it's about God, and it's about what God does for us. 
But if you miss that part, if you don't go that far to see that the giver gets the glory, and it's all about the name of our God, you won't understand the book of Romans. It, it will not make sense to you. It, it just won't. It doesn't matter how many times you go through it, it won't matter how many times you read it. If the end of all of it, you don't see the, for the sake of his name and that the giver gets the glory, you'll miss it. So we're going to continue to hammer that as we walk through. Today I want you to look at verse 6. We're not going very fast, very far, really. But verse 6, look at what it says. These two words, including you. Including you. And what we're going to look at this morning is now Paul turns his attention to the Roman believers, those to whom he's writing to, and he says some things about them. That's where we're going to center this morning. What does he say about these Roman Christians that he's writing to and telling them and heralding the gospel of God to? What does he say about them? First of all, I think what he says is, you're part of those nations. You're part of the nations that that this obedience of faith is being heralded to, this glorious gospel that brings about the obedience of faith. You're part of those nations. You're one of those nations. The Gentiles, if you will, primarily who Paul was writing to here were Gentiles. There were some Jewish people in the church. In fact, you'll see that in some of the ways he goes through the book of Romans and and talks about those things and, and reconciling Jew and Gentile together and how the gospel does that. But it's primarily Gentiles that made up the Roman church. And so he's saying, you're one of those nations that this glorious gospel has gone to. And I'm grateful to be able to declare it to you. It uh, it was probably written in about 58 or 59 AD. So do some calculating there, and you realize it was somewhat around 30 years after Christ. 30 years after the resurrection, Paul now is writing this to these Roman um, believers and uh, talking to them about the gospel. And he, he describes them in two ways. I want you, first of all, to look at the two ways in the text that he describes them as. And first of all, in including you, and he says it this way, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. So one of the ways he describes them is that they belong to Christ Jesus, i.e. they're Christians. They belong to Christ. And the second way that he describes them, he says, called to be saints in verse 7 at the end of that. So they're called to belong to Christ Jesus and they're called to be saints. Just quickly, we want to look at that and then we'll go farther. First of all, to belong to Christ Jesus. Think about it for a moment. This is the city of Rome, a huge city in that day. And this was a small group in that city. We don't know for sure how large it was, but by any measure, it was small. It was writing to a small group of people in this large city full of horrendous, horrendous corruption, horrendous immorality, licentiousness. It was everywhere in Rome at this time. And he's writing to those in that city, in that circumstance, who belong to Christ Jesus, who, in fact, were 
living out the obedience that comes from faith, living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They had come to embrace the resurrection, embrace Christ. And in fact, he calls them here in this particular text, saints. Don't misunderstand the wording here a bit by the way that it's written because there's a tendency when it says in the text here called to be saints that there's somehow that they were going to arrive at being saints. But that's not what the text is saying. It isn't that they were going to do all of these things and then be crowned with sainthood someplace along the line. But it is they were called saints. They were saints. He was writing to those who belong to Christ Jesus and are saints because of that. Because of the work of Christ. They are saints. They are set apart ones. They were called out ones in this city. This small group of people who belong to Christ Jesus and are called saints. Now the question we want to answer this morning, this is, this is the bulk of where I want to go this morning. The question we want to answer this morning is this. What brought them to that point? What brought them to the point of belonging to Christ Jesus, which they did, and being saints, which they were? What brought them there? What happened to cause that to happen? in their lives, in that group of believers in the midst of all of that that was going on around them that wasn't good. What was it? The question hopefully gets broadened and that is what brought you and I, if in fact this morning you belong to Christ Jesus and are called saint? What brought us? What brought you? What brought me? to belong to Christ Jesus. In fact, what brings anybody to belong to Christ Jesus? What is it? What is it? Paul gives us the answer in this text, I think, as well. Just these few verses, a couple of verses we have here, really, that we're turning to now. I think he gives us the answer. And he gives us the answer through his own lens of his experience. Remember we read a few weeks ago about his experience on the Damascus Road? Paul was on his way to wreak havoc in the church. He was on his way, if you will, to imprison and possibly kill believers. Certainly to wreck all kinds of havoc he could, anything he could to destroy this movement of those who belonged to Christ Jesus. He was after them and intent on destroying them and wiping them out. And God intercepted him by his mercy and revealed himself to Paul on that road. And because of that, Paul is one who now belongs to Christ Jesus. He is called an apostle. And he writes the words to these now Roman believers. That's, that's the lens that Paul is looking through his experience of how it happened to him. And he writes about it to the believers. Now, he he describes them in two ways. Two ways in which that answer comes. Let's look at it in the text again. Um, Those who are belonging to Christ Jesus, those who are, in fact, described as saints, 
The scripture says they were called. It says, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So, so one of the ways it happens is in a calling that occurred in their lives. And the second way that it comes here in the text is they were loved by God. It says again to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So they are called to belong to God and to be saints and they are loved by God. Those are the things that I think Paul would say is the answer to why they do belong to God and why they are called saints. So let's break those down. Let's talk about those this morning. First of all, what does it mean to be called by God? What is Paul inferring? Now again, he's looking through the lens of his own calling. But beyond that, he, he shares things. But first of all, I want us to, to, to look at some scripture. I want you to go back. You've got your Bibles hopefully open to Romans chapter one. Just, just back one book to the book of Acts. If you go to the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, here we get a description probably of how these Roman Christians came to be now that Paul is writing to. We don't know for sure how the church in Rome was founded. We're not certain about that. The, the, uh, there's a part of the church that would say that Peter founded um, the church at Rome, but it seems interesting that Paul would write to them and make no mention of Peter if, in fact, Peter was the founder of the Roman church. So many believe that where they came from was in Acts chapter 2. And it's described in Acts chapter 2 there. And at Acts chapter 2, toward about verse 14, we see that Peter's sermon at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, then he immediately began to declare the gospel to those that were gathered at Pentecost, or that feast. And he shares the gospel. And then you come down to to verse um 37, and we begin to pick it up there in the text, and this is what it says. It says, when they heard this, what? What did they hear? When they heard the gospel, when they heard what Peter was preaching at Pentecost, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The promise is for everyone, those that are far off, whom the Lord calls to himself. And so these Roman Christians were probably being described here. They were called to belong to God at Pentecost. That's probably where the origin of the Roman church came from. But we go on to other texts. Now we want to look at texts. I want to just look at a couple of texts. When he talk about what does Paul mean when he talks about them being called here in this text. Called to belong to Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. 
Listen to what he writes in other places. In the book of 1 Corinthians now, if you want to continue to follow, you were back one book, now just go ahead one book. Go one book past Romans. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18 of the text. Um, we begin to read these words about, about what I think Paul means when he talks about that you're called. Listen to what it says. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And then we skip down a bit to verse 22, the end of verse 22. It says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And then he says, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The preaching of the cross is a stumbling block to Jews. It continues to be a stumbling block to the vast majority of the Jewish nations. There are some believers in Christ in the in Jewish lineage, but very few. The percentage is very small. For the most part, to the Jews, Christ is folly. I remember a few years ago, in my living room, in my house, there was a gentleman that was out here hunting, and he stayed with us. And I thought one evening, he was Jewish, I thought, I'll just try to engage him and see at what spiritual level we might be able to communicate. I remember starting to communicate with him, trying to communicate with him. I should say it that way, trying to communicate with him. And I began to talk about some things, trying to open the conversation. And finally, he just said, I don't know, you just have to talk to my wife. And, and what he meant by that was he was a secular Jew. He was completely secular. It had, it had gone beyond folly to him. He, he just didn't even have it on his radar screen. And his wife, for some reason, had begun to pick up spiritual things and, and evidently was studying some of her Jewish faith more intently than he was. But it's true. For the vast majority, it is folly or less to the Jews. Or excuse me, a stumbling block to the Jews, not folly, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. For the, for the Gentiles, it was folly. It was, it was just beyond them. They couldn't understand. And then, he, and then he turns the corner. Look at verse 24. He says, but, but to those who are what? Called. To those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Calling has to do with the but. There's a switch, a but that happens. They turn from stumbling block to folly to the power of God. Calling infers that. But what does that calling more specifically look like? What, if you, if you go deeper, what, what does that calling look like in the life of a person who is called? What does it look like? It, it takes you from seeing Christ as a stumbling black block or folly to the power of God. But, but what does that look like when that happens? I go on to another text and that's in 2 Corinthians. You turn over one more book and 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And listen to the text again. Listen here, because in this text, I think you begin to see what, what it really looks like when one goes from one realm 
to the other, which Paul called the called, who've gone from one realm to another. Therefore, having this ministry, Paul writes in verse 1, by the mercy of God, he's thinking about what? He's thinking about that Damascus Road experience. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he was on his way to destroy the church. By the mercy of God, God intercepted him on that road. When he wasn't thinking about being intercepted, for sure, he was thinking about destruction of the church. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul's writing, it says, there's a a dullness, there's a, a blindness that's there. And the God of this age is keeping people from seeing something. The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And here's the key. Here's the key, I think. Here's what it looks like to be called. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What did God do in creation? Let there be light. I think it's the same in the new creation. Let there be light. And that light is shown into the heart that causes one to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. It happened to Paul on that Damascus road. I think it happens that way to everyone. The glory of a righteousness that comes from God and is centered in the work of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means by those who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. The light has shone. People's eyes have been opened to see. And he was saying, your eyes have been opened to see, you Roman believers. Called to belong to Christ. Called to be saints. As that light shines. And secondly, I think not only does he describe them as being called, and I think that's what it looks like in Scripture. That's that's how Paul describes it, isn't it? That's those are those are the words of Paul in Second Corinthians. And now we come to be loved by God. Not only are we called of God, or they were called of God, and we are too if we belong to Christ Jesus, but they are loved by God. They are loved by God. What what does that mean to be loved by God? The inference of this text, in fact, if you don't have the ESV, very likely your translation might say the beloved of God. Might use those words beloved of God or beloved of God. Beloved of God. It's the same inference, this text, when it says those are 
those who are loved by God is the same inference that is given and describes the Father's relationship to Jesus. Remember at, at the baptism of Jesus? Remember when he was baptized? Remember what the voice from heaven said? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was the same at the transfiguration through the words of Peter who was there. He said, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. My beloved son. And so the inference here of those who are loved by God and that inference in those texts of the beloved son are the same. We are loved by the father as the son is loved by the Father. That's what it's saying, those it says, you are called to belong to Christ Jesus, you who are loved by God. You who are loved by God the Father, as God the Father loves his Son. That's how he describes those here in Rome. John chapter 17, you don't need to turn there if you don't, but just listen to this. This is Jesus in his high priestly prayer. This is what he says about those who belong to God. This is how he describes it. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. That the world might know that you have sent me, Father, and that you love them as you love me. The beloved son and the beloved Roman believers, the same love. That's when it talks about you who are loved by God. Secondly, in that love, this is under the topic of love. Not only are they loved as the Father loves the Son, but secondly, a love that is greater in degree than the general love of God. That's the inference here of this text as well. Um, They're not loved. They're not loved the same way as all mankind is loved. The text wouldn't make sense in in that regard. There's an inference here in this text that they are loved in a different way than those who would not belong to God are loved. This morning in my Sunday school class, I I whet your appetite a bit for this. When you read about God's love, you need to look at what the object of that love is and and the degree of that love to some sense. It varies. It's different. This text is different. Let me, let me try to illustrate that by the help of another. If I were to write to my wife, and I write to her, and I, I, I write and I say, my beloved wife, Kay, and I go on to say something after that, to my beloved wife, Kay, and then I talk to her in the letter. Just think for a moment, how many of you would think that the same love that I have for my wife 
is the same that I have for all other women. You wouldn't infer that, would you? The very fact that I did it that way would make you think it's a different kind of love. It's a different dimension of love than the love I might have for other people. We wouldn't think they were the same. We would recognize that love as a special love. And that's exactly what this text says. You are loved with a special love as those who belong to Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean, when I say to my beloved Kay, it doesn't mean that I don't have love for other people. I mean, the fact that I call her my beloved wife Kay doesn't mean I don't have love for others. It's just a different kind of love for others. It it also doesn't mean that I might not die for somebody else. It just means that it's a different kind of love that I have for her. And that's what Paul is saying to them. Beloved, a special and unique love reserved for those who have been called out to belong to God. That's what, that's what Paul is saying in this text. You who belong to God and are loved by God. So, I think we can say this as well. Not only, the second point really is that the differing degree of that love, if you will, would be a way to say that. But I think we also could say that not only is there a differing and greater degree of love, but also a duration of that love. Not only the degree of that love is different, but the duration of that love is different. In fact, even if you don't give the first point, you would have to give the second point, that the duration of God's love in general for mankind is, is different in duration than the love it's talked about here. How do we know that? Why would we think that? Well, all over Scripture, it talks about the fact that one day a judgment will come. Today is a day of salvation. And there will come a day, by inference, that there, it won't be that day anymore. And something else will happen. Um, the scripture again and again warns of that. So there's a, a place where, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that that love uh, ends in duration for those who have not believed in that son, who have not come to embrace that son, who have not come to belong to that son. There's a place in duration where that love no longer exists. But I think it's both degree and duration, but, but duration certainly. It's what we read this morning. It's the text we began with this morning. Listen again to it. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Everlasting. The duration never ends of what he goes on to say. I will not turn from doing good to them. I will 
put the fear of me in their hearts that they will not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in the land in faithfulness with all of my heart and all of my soul. That's the love. That's the love that God has for the Roman believers. It's the love that Paul is talking about when he describes it here to them, to those who belong to God and are loved by God. A love that that should transform them in incredible kinds of ways. And, and part of, I think, the reason why Paul writes it the way he does is, is he knows that's what will spur them on to the obedience of faith as they understand it more and more. And what he's going to do throughout the book of Romans then is, is talk about why that promise of Jeremiah can be true and why it is true and why God loves them. And he, he unfolds the gospel as we walk through the book of the Romans. It's to these Christians Paul writes to, these who belong to God and are saints because they've been called and loved by God in a special kind of way. And that's the same for all of us. If we're a believer here today, if, if you belong to Christ Jesus today, it's because you have been called And God has expressed a unique and special love to you and displays it to you. And it's the fulfillment of the new covenant. We sang a song this morning that I want us to sing again. A song that talks about that marvelous thing that happens when God comes and opens our eyes to see that. Opens our eyes to see the glory of a righteousness from God that allows us to belong to him and to be loved by him for all eternity, future. A God who will never stop doing good to us. Let's stand together and sing. Who made me to know you but you? When dead in sin you gave me new life Now my heart is filled with love for you Jesus Father, thank you For your Spirit's work in me For opening my eyes to the Christ of Calvary, Jesus, you gave your life in exchange for mine. Now I will live for you who died, Jesus. You placed a crown of grace on my head. You covered me in robes of righteousness. Forever I will always be yours. Jesus.
Jesus. Father, thank you for your Spirit's work in me, for opening my eyes to the Christ of Calvary. Jesus, you gave your life in exchange for mine. Now I will live for you who Jesus. Father, there's only one answer to why we stand here today if we do and don't see Jesus as a stumbling block or folly. That rather than that, we see him, the power of God and the wisdom of God. your work by your spirit in our hearts that we see the glory of God in the face of Christ is a miracle of your grace it happened to Paul it's happened to countless thousands upon thousands through the century it continues to happen and will until the day you return And Lord, we're grateful. We say, as Paul said, by your mercy, we see. God, may we go in the wonder of that as we go today in Jesus' name.